Chabad stands for the philosophy of Chachma, Bina, and Das, which is wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And in short, the uh, founding of it is based on the idea that everything starts off in the brain. And the brain controls our emotions. When whatever we're excited about is because we think through it first, then we ha- our connection to God is through thinking and meditating, and that controls and leads and directs all our emotions and everything about us. Hello and welcome to Drinks with God, a podcast about alternative theological experiences, death, and life. All of the following content is based on each interviewee's own personal experiences and is meant to be educational, not confrontational. of Drinks with God. I'm here with Rabbi Yaakov. I'm very excited to have him on the show today. And I'm having coffee. He's just having water. And today we're going to talk about a couple different things. But first I'd like to start off um, finding out a bit more about uh, yourself and how you got to be a rabbi. Um, I know that that's usually a profession that's passed down from father to son, but how in particular did you get the job, so to speak? So I was born in Burlington, Vermont, where my father was sent by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. My parents were sent there to be, the father was sent there to be a rabbi in 1984. So I did grow up in the fold as being a rabbi in a rabbi's house. My grandfather was a rabbi in Casablanca, Morocco. After uh, I got married to a girl from Melville, we... Uh, decided to continue on that mission and uh, after I became a rabbi I took on the position here in Huntington to continue that uh, tradition. Excellent. And um, and you're currently building up your own Chabad. Yes. Right. And um, could you just, for people who uh, have no personal experience with um, with the Jewish religion or any of the, its terminology, what would a Chabad be in a nutshell? So Chabad is a Hasidic movement which was founded and based in Russia in the town of Lubavitch. And Chabad stands for the philosophy of Chachma, Bina, and Das, which is wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And in short, the uh, founding of it is based on the idea that everything starts off in the brain. And the brain controls our emotions. When whatever we're excited about is because we think through it first, then we ha- our connection to God is through thinking and meditating, and that controls and leads and directs all our emotions and everything about us. Uh, more, even more than that, the uh, Chabad movement in the last uh, 50, 60 years is known to be a lighting force across the world. In almost every country in the world, there is a base, especially after the Holocaust, and uh, that was thanks to the Rebbe, the Babich Rebbe, of spreading the mission and being there for everyone. Great. And, um, and actually, continuing in that, uh, that line of thought, the whole idea of Chabad 
and of, in fact, a lot of what I've seen with Judaism is community and scholarship. It's a very um, introspective kind of religion. What, uh, do you have anything to say about that, just since uh, I've co commonly come across that uh, interpretation of Judaism? So actually, our religion is everything that we do. From the uh, time we get up in the morning till the time we go to sleep, from the day we're born till the day we die, and even afterwards, is all based on the way the Torah directs our lives. The Torah is our guide life. Some people think that the Torah is just on the high holidays, you go to synagogue, and uh, that's where the Torah gives you direction to go hear the shofar. The Torah actually gives us direction even when we're eating our breakfast or we're going on vacation or we're sleeping, there's guidelines how to live our lives in every aspect of our lives. The foods we eat, the way we eat the foods, the way we act in business, honesty, integrity. Uh, so Judaism is actually, by following it, it's actually very deep in a way that even certain times of the day where you're not, you know, not, don't feel like, you know, you're just working, you're just playing ball. But that itself is also could be following in the Jewish way as well. So every detail of life is connected with the Jewish life. Very good. And um, shul, the term I'd mentioned earlier, I'd always been uh, of the impression that is specifically for uh, for children and teens of the religion to kind of just uh, learn about the religion and about their community. Is that essentially it? Shul primarily today means any sort of location that would be a gathering of Jewish people that would come together primarily for prayer and services. Okay. So that's what a shul would mean. It would mean that type of gathering. Uh, and it could be on a Shabbat or it could be holidays or some places have a shul every day. Services three times a day. Great. Thank you for clearing that up. How long have you been uh, working on your own Chabad? You've only been uh, doing this for a couple of years now? Um, or... <laughs> So we've been in Huntington about two years. Okay. We actually moved here and rented our first house in April 2015. So it's been two years. Uh, however, I've been a rabbi since 2010. Yes. And I grew up in a rabbi's house and spent many years traveling around the world and assisting other places and getting training across the world in Nepal and Africa and many other places. But actually here in Huntington as a practicing rabbi is two years. And um, since you've, you're able to compare I'm, and contrast a vast array of uh, relig um, religious experiences in different parts of the world, what are the challenges between setting up your own Chabad here that you've found between um, working um, in other Chabads elsewhere around the world? Have you noticed any similarities, any differences? Well, many of the places that I travel to were really hot spot uh, destinations for a lot of young people like Kathmandu, Nepal uh, is a good example where you have for Passover say there are a thousand people uh, joining in and many trekkers and people that are traveling so it's a really uh, hot spot for tourists and vacationers which comes in a way with the easier side of it they just open your doors and everyone comes running everyone wants to join when you're living on an upper scale town on Long Island Everyone has the jobs, people are more settled. It's, uh, you sort of have to integrate with the day-to-day -day life and find different ways how to connect 
with people when they have time and be able to influence the community in a very, very different way. Right. Now that makes a lot of sense. And um, so tell me a little bit more about Chabad. So Chabad, as we mentioned, started back in, uh, in Russia. However, <clears throat> during the Holocaust, most of the uh, Jewish life in Europe was destroyed. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, which was born in 1902, when he survived the Holocaust and came here to the United States and took over his father-in-law, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, he took up upon himself a mission to inspire and encourage the Jewish people after the Holocaust. And primarily, the way he did that was by sending out emissaries across the world. And it's the first place actually was in Morocco, where my grandparents were emissaries. And then uh, Italy was one of the first places, Detroit, Michigan, California, Miami. And today there's actually a Chabad in every state in the United States and almost every country in the world, besides for some Muslim countries that don't have yet uh, Chabads. Um, and the uh, mission of Chabad in the Jewish world, what we stand for is true love of every fellow. No matter your background, we're not uh, focused like many other synagogues are focused on membership or tickets. We're, we believe that every person is a member. Everyone is invited and it really brought a rebirth of Judaism and Jewish life. If you go around the world today, there's so many Jewish people today, young and old, that are inspired and involved in their own way just because of, because of the Chabad being there for everyone, unconditional. Right. And, um, and you'd worked at Chabad's uh, all around the world, you'd said, um, at a lot of uh, destination areas, specifically. What is it like being in a Chabad that's at a very, uh, kind of a vacation hotspot? Being at, in a Chabad, in a vacation hotspot, for example, about 10 years ago, I was in a uh, town in uh, Cyprus, which is a, uh, Ayanapa, Cyprus, which is a very hot spot for vacationers, particularly youth from Israel that come before the army. And we were actually operating a kosher restaurant. And every day we'd have hundreds of them coming in. And it could be from 8 in the morning till 12 o'clock at night. Friday night for Shabbat dinner, we had over 500 people coming and joining. And there's a lot of excitement, a lot of singing, a lot of preparing. Um, and in Nepal, is very similar as well. There's a kosher restaurant there. And there's always youth coming in and leaving and coming. And uh, it's just a fascinating to see that Jewish people, no matter where they are in the world, they feel invited, they feel welcome, and everyone wants to connect. Now, singing has always been a big feature of every every Jewish anything I've ever been to, um, especially Purim. <laughs> um, so I know that uh, Chabad is, aside from, be, from being a, uh, a community I guess community outreach is kind of like an odd phrase to put toward, but it is, it is it's, it's a cohesion movement in a lot of ways. Is there like uh, other programs that generally uh, work through Chabad to kind of do, do like a community building program, such as, you know, even like planting or like 
working uh, working with the aged or is that a common feature of Chabad as well? Yes, definitely. Uh, for example, my wife runs a program actually right here in Huntington, which is called Friendship Circle. And it's a uh, program where teenagers in local high schools volunteer to visit families that have kids with special needs. And every week, you'll have two teenagers that will partner together and come visit their special teenager, their special child, that they will hang out with. And uh, it's created a major impact in the community in helping, first of all, obviously, the kids with special needs, their families, to give them excitement and motivation and encouragement. And as well, it gives the teenagers also some meaning and purpose that they spend some of the extra hours at a school in helping other people. So that's definitely a good example of one of the things that we do for community service. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's always a good thing to make sure that um, that you foster and like give outlets for. So uh, actually, also going back to family, and if you're not comfortable with this, uh, I can always cut it out. <laughs> um, you are setting up a Chabad, and you're working into uh, become more of a part of the Jewish community here and the community at large here. And you are also, in fact, uh, raising children of your own in the faith. Um, I know they're still very young, but what are some uh, challenges and great moments you've had in raising uh, raising children in the faith? I know that I've had um, other people on the show who are doing the same thing, and I'm just curious to see. So, first of all, I grew up in Vermont, if part of the faith in the same way. Um, and we were not surrounded by other Hasidic or religious Jews and not too many Jews in Vermont. And the way we grew up was being proud of who we were and uh, thank God uh, it was successful. And for my children, I find it even easier being that we're in the New York area. There's a lot more you know, Jewish life and more opportunities. And uh, they're still young, but uh, we do plan on starting a preschool at our location we have opened so we're going to give them that education and when they're ready they'll go to other Jewish schools either on Long Island or Brooklyn and uh, thank God we've been blessed to be able to raise them here that's great actually that's that's very great um, I've done some growing up in the homeschool in the homeschool community and so being around people who are setting up their own learning environments on their own was really cool to watch growing up from a from a hindsight point of view, at the time I was just kind of you know, day to day experiences. But that's got to be a whole host of challenges, I'm sure. Um, but definitely, definitely has to be rewarding. Very cool. Definitely comes with its challenges, but it's uh, the best. Um, yes, everyone always says that uh, you're never going to be uh, prepared for parenthood. So. Uh, now you got you got a couple other kids that you're gonna throw into the mix there. Uh, good luck. <laughs> um, so one part of community which I know that you've been dealing with a lot, and I did want to cover. Um, I do have a special place for this in my heart. Is a uh, is death, <laughs> and um, that is a part of community that no one ever wants to talk about, but it is something that always drives people either back to their faith or in search of a new one. And I know that that's something that you've uh you you've had a lot of um experience with um both recently and that is in fact how we met um did you have any 
Any thoughts on that? So death in general is uh, could be very painful, and it could be also a very meaningful experience. And uh, the real truth, the real truth is that someone, until the until Mashiach comes, until the Messiah comes, and the world we're living in right now, unfortunately, no one is here forever. And the so people that are older and lived a full life, we believe that life doesn't end with their death. There's a soul inside of them, and they continue on living up, you know, up in heaven. And they're actually pretty happy. They're usually pretty content, and life is pretty good for them. We down here are the ones that are suffering. For the ones that passed, they're generally pretty content. So it's an important uh, thing to always remember when someone passes away that in general, in most situations, they're actually not suffering anymore. They're better off now. They're happier. And it's almost like uh, sending someone away off to uh, Europe for a year before the days of technology when you couldn't uh, connect with them. And uh, death is a time when many people come to the rabbis and they come to religion because of this uh, deep pain that they feel. Now, I do know that there's a couple different readings on specifically what the Judaic read is on the afterlife. If you're either Orthodox or from more like reformist um, Judaic school, then there's going to be different questions on whether or not you even are going to believe in an afterlife. But that all seems very much of a gray area that people are constantly debating. A lot of people who very firmly say, yes, there is an afterlife, we do believe one. And other people who say, no, there is just, um, you just return to God and it's just kind of like a very blanket, we don't know what happens, why should we know, kind of a statement. And uh, then there's also some very um, specific writings saying that, oh, there's this one, there's a place of of forgetting, there's another um, place that, I believe it was called Golgotha, um, which was written about... And that seemed to only had at one point been referred to and has very very rarely been referred to as a kind of a place where you'd go not not quite like a like a hell or a purg- or a purgatory but it was kind of like a, a, a like a cursed place but it seemed more like it was physically on earth so um, it seems like there's several different um, names and different areas of the afterlife um, in different texts um, do you have any, any thoughts on that, any study on that? So in general, we do believe, Jewish religion does believe that there is uh, life after death. And not only that, we believe that what makes us and what drives us is not our bodies, but it's actually our souls. And when a person dies, the body might be in the grave, but what really made the person is the soul. And that soul still continues. And not only that, we do believe the Maimonides writes that we believe in resurrection of the dead as well when Mashiach comes when Messiah comes uh, for now there are many um, different discussions about what happens after death um, it's uh, a lot of it is unknown to us unless we would have died and come back otherwise we don't know exactly there is a certain period of after death that we do believe that certain people may have to go through some sort of cleansing or some sort of uh, purification before they come to full peace uh, for a certain amount of time, a short time, 
and that would be based on what they did here in this world if someone god forbid didn't act properly then there would be a certain period of time after death that would be a little bit preparing them to go into you know a better place um otherwise we do have the rabbis do discuss about you know the coming worlds of how righteous people sit there and they sounds like they enjoy themselves they sit around but we don't know exactly in a physical way what that means but uh, it seems to be like they're at peace excellent and um just to go a little bit back towards community and um and mourning funerals are for the living even though they celebrate the dead um it's my own personal belief anyway i'm sure there are those in the audience who will definitely argue that point in terms of remembrance I know that that there is something very specific to the Judaic religion where there is the year after unveiling and a year after ceremony. So the idea of continuing the community and continuing the embracing of members of the community even after they've passed away, I think that's a very beautiful thing. And um, do you have any uh, any background knowledge of um, of that? Beyond the you know the rituals and the methods of doing so, but anything about um, the philosophy behind it? Well, actually, a lot of the funeral is for the uh, living and for the mourners, but also it's for the person that passed away as well. There's certain guidelines of how to get the person ready for the funeral, and sort of like uh, we uh, take care of them when they're born, and we also take care of the person when they die to sort of send them off, package them right, and. Uh, the tradition is that actually for the first while, even possibly up to a year after someone passes away, their soul is still hovering over the physical gravesite down here. It's not fully at peace. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why during the first year we have these type of ceremonies and we can say the Kaddish and we do a lot of different things in the first year more than any other time after that. Someone passes away for the first year, you're very concerned after that once a year and during the year you move on but uh, the first year is very special to take care of the person that deceased because it's a year of uncertainty for the person that died the person that died is still looking for peace and comfort and us the living down here are able to add comfort and peace for the dead for that year especially right i know that a couple different um religions have uh, a very specific um methodology from immediately during and after someone passing away um but that one in particular always struck me just uh well the lighting of candles is like a common feature for most um if not all of uh holidays and um and on shabbat and but i thought like the remembrance candle in particular was a very very touching thing um well, I think we'd covered every everything that I wanted to uh, to take note of. Uh, was there anything in particular that you wanted to to speak about? I think we covered a lot of what we were going to talk about, mm -hmm. and uh, thank you for hosting. Oh, thank you for being on the show. Well, is there anything else in particular that uh, that? Uh, you'd want to put out there about Chabad, about the Chabad movement in general, or something that, like, that your Chabad is up and coming to do? Um, so Chabad in general, as mentioned, is a place that any Jew doesn't have to hesitate. Everyone's welcome, and uh, we're here for everyone, and uh, there's no boundaries, and there's no membership, and everyone's welcome.
Um, and is there anything up, uh, any events or anything that uh, that your Chabad's going to be doing in, in any time in the next month or so? So we'll be having the uh, holiday of Shavuos, which is coming up in the end of May. And we will be having a big uh, Torah reading where we read about the Ten Commandments that were given at Mount Sinai 3,329 years ago. And as well, we'll be having a special dairy ice cream and uh, dairy party, which uh, is the tradition to have on that day of the holiday of Shavuos. Very cool. Um, and actually, just so, it, would you want people to contact you or reach out to you? Is there a specific way people can get in touch with your Chabad if they're local and interested in uh, doing any work with you guys or with Friendship Circle? Sure. Feel free to Google Chabad of Huntington and uh, we'll be happy to be in touch with you. That's um, H-A-B-B-A-D, correct? C-H-A-B-A-D. Uh, yes. I, both Hanukkah and Chabad and there's that C-H-A that I always... Yes. <laughs> um, well, again, thank you so much, so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. And if you would like to be on the show uh, because you have had an alternative theological experience or you can provide an in-depth viewpoint of mainstream religion, just send me an email at drinkingwithgod at gmail.com. Again, that's drinking with an I-N-G. And um, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Please follow us on Podbean. And uh, find us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I'm going to post the links to all that um, in, in, the, in the comments. Um, and you should also definitely head over either to our Patreon page or to our Redbubble page. We have all sorts of really fun stuff that you could either purchase or that you could get as a reward for supporting us. And uh, please, uh, thank you for your support if you have already supported us, and please continue to do so. Thank you, and uh, stay weird out there.